I want to welcome. I want to welcome you too. If you're new to the church, and uh, we hope that you feel the presence of God here in this place, because we come here to meet with Him. We come to hear from Him. We come to experience Him, and uh, and we're not. And I just want to just take a second to say how proud I am of this Lamb of God family. I'm so proud of our family. I am just a really excited coach and pastor right now. Because uh, when I see uh, people around me seeking God and loving God and operating in their gifts and greeting people and loving people and sharing with each other, and I just love it. This is what we're all about. This is, uh, we got a great team. We got a great family. And we're, uh, you know, I know a lot of us, we're going through some stuff. We had some people in our family this week go through some uh, very difficult things in their life. They lost very close family members. And I saw other, others of us, family members, surround them and love them and reach out to them and care for them. We have some people going through some real strong physical challenges. And I've been watching other people care for other people. I'm just so proud of this family. Uh, I was, after the first service, I'm walking around, talking with people. And I saw a group of four people just spontaneously praying for each other, and none of them was any ministry leader, an elder, a pastor, a staff member. It was just family. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're family, and we're just doing a great job of caring for each other and pushing forward, and we all go through things. And I just want to say that, you know, you need to get connected. You know, if you want to get a friendship, then you need a so a friendship, okay? That's the biblical principle. And get connected, because this is a great family to be a part of. And, um, but you got, you got to be a part, like, uh, Megan said, you know, you got to be a part of it. You got to step into it a little bit, right? Uh, and I'm just so proud of you. I'm so proud of this family, what God's doing. He's doing something really awesome here. And so let's keep pressing into all that God has pressed himself to a cross for. You know what I mean? So that you could have victory and you could have life and you could have healing and you could have wholeness. And because I don't want to forget this, there was a group that was meeting on Monday, last Monday night, and was praying, and the Lord said that he wanted to heal someone here of type 2 diabetes. So that's a, a word of knowledge that God is just sharing with someone here. And before you go, at the end of the service, you come forward, we'll pray with you, and believe, believe that you are going to receive that healing today if you haven't already received it since Monday, because they were praying for you all week long, not even know who you are. It could be multiple people, but isn't God good? He's for you. He's not against you. And we've been talking about the Word of God. We're in the series called, it was called 40 Days in the Word, but because last week I didn't get through the whole message, it's going to be 47 days in the Word, all right? So we're going to bump it out a little bit. And again, uh, we have no chance of getting through this week's message either, but we are going to go on to something different next week because I already tried the first service and didn't, we didn't get close. So, but we got some special things to share with you today that I hope God really fills your heart. Um, there's three challenges I've been asking you to, to take on. One is to memorize a verse every week. Every week I'm going to give you a verse. I want you to memorize it. This last week's verse was Colossians 3.16. Do you guys remember it? Anybody remember it? Um, it goes like this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, it will begin to transform you. It will begin to enrich you, give you wisdom, give you peace. Uh, give you strength, give you health and wholeness. It'll give you joy. The Bible says it promises of itself when you meditate on the word, success and prosperity, health and long life, peace and provision and wisdom 
and health to our whole body. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good promise. Um, and so if you want to be a part of our team, we're calling this the Word Team. Okay, if you've got a smartphone, you can join the Word Team, and you text the word Word to that number, and you'll get a text message every Monday or Tuesday, I think, and you'll get the scripture, and we'll work on it together. I'm just excited. we got almost 150 people on our Word Team already. Isn't that awesome? So you're a part of a, a big movement here in our family of, like, stepping forward, going after the promises of God, and, and receiving the benefit of those promises. Okay, now this week's verse is an awesome one, Psalm 19.7. The first half of this verse, you can see it up there. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. We've been talking about that. This Bible is perfect, but here's what I love about it. Refreshing the soul. Some of your Bibles will say a different word there when you look them up. It'll say, reviving the soul. My Bible is a 1984 NIV, special edition, yeah, <laughs> study notes, no, I'm just, but it is, it's, it's an older translation, and it says, reviving the soul. You know what to be revived means? To be dead and come back to life. Revival, to revive someone. If you're in the hospital and there's something bad happening, how many of you know you want to be revived? <laughs> revived. And some of us, we have some dead dreams we have some dry bones. You know, we have some hurt. We have some, some dead areas in our lives. And God's word can revive you, revive your soul, refresh your soul. And my prayer is as you give yourself to these challenges, because I believe these are, these are challenges from the Bible, not from your pastor. These are, these are what the Bible, you know, tells us to do. And as you give yourself to actually studying the Word and meditating on the Word and memorizing the Word, that it is going to refresh your soul. It's going to fill you. I always say this, that there is nothing that can satisfy your soul like Jesus, the Word. And He is soul-licious. He's so soul-licious. He's the only one who can satisfy your soul. And the Bible says it actually refreshes and revives your soul. So meditate on that verse this week. The second half of that says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And the Bible is kind at times. And here's an example of it being very kind because the word simple really means to be a fool, <laughs> okay? And so the Bible says when you study the Bible, when you meditate on the Bible, it makes fools in, into wise people. And Jesus told us what the definition of wisdom is. He said, wisdom is when you take and hear the word of God and you do what? You do it. That's wisdom. That's a wise person who hears the word, meditates on the word, understands it, and applies it or does it or puts it into practice. So how many of you know, through God's help, we can all be wise, right? And wisdom brings blessing from God. So that's the verse. I uh, hope that you memorize and meditate on that today and this week. The second challenge is to daily devote some time to God's Word. Uh, this is our life to us. That's why we're spending 47 days, at least so far, on diving into the Word and establishing some lifelong habits and patterns. And the most important pattern you can establish in your daily routine is not just brushing your teeth or making your bed or, you know, or drinking so many cups of water or eating your five servings of veggies and fruits a day. The most important thing you can do is have a daily time in God's Word. I'm telling you, this is the greatest single habit you can establish in your life. And I want you to establish it with many other people at this time. If you've never done that before, now's the time. 
Let's establish it. Let's get used to it, and let's put that time because it will, it will change our lives. And the third one is just to listen to all these messages. Get as much as you can about the Word into your, into your heart. And if you miss a Sunday, go online and listen to the message, okay? Or you can request CDs as well. So today, um, I want to recap just briefly last week's message. And the message was entitled, Why Can I Trust the Bible is God's Word? How do I know this isn't just a book? How do I know that this isn't just man and women writing good thoughts down, uh, doing their best, but there's probably a lot in here that's not right or it's wrong? How, is that the case? How do I know that this saying is accurate? How do I know that this is God's Word? How do I know that it's worth my time building my life on this book and believing it? And you're telling me every day that I should be devoting some time to this. Why would I devote my, my day to this? Why would I do that every single day? Why? If I can't trust, can I trust this is God's word? And I'm here to tell you, you can absolutely, 100% trust that this is God's word. And we've been talking about that. And uh, today we're going to talk about that a little bit more from a couple of different angles. Last week we talked about how the Bible is historically accurate. It lists all kinds of countries and places and events and history and different uh, people. And the Bible has never, ever uh, been shown to be wrong about any of its history. It's not a history book, but it has a lot of history. And, uh, and as archaeology keeps continuing to go on, they keep discovering more and more, catching up to the truth of the Bible. There's never been anything uh, shown in the Bible that's historically inaccurate because God sees the end from the beginning. He is the, it's his story. History, it's his story. It's his story. He's not going to make a mistake in his book. Um, the second thing we talked about is that it is scientifically accurate. The Bible is absolutely scientifically accurate, and this is my, this is my view of science. Science is catching up to what God has already done. Okay? That's my definition of science. Science is just finding out how God made everything and what it looks like. The Bible has no bad science in it, even though it was written during a time when people believed the earth was flat. They believed you could count the stars. They believed all kinds of crazy things, like the earth was balanced on the backs of elephants, and when they moved, there was an earthquake. You know, the Bible doesn't have any of that garbage in it because it's not true. Uh, the one who made it knows the answers, and God said, yeah, the, the stars are infinite. The earth, it's a sphere, and, it, and, it's, and it's positioned on nothing. And these are verses that have been in the Bible for thousands of years, and our culture just didn't know it, read it, or believe it. But the Bible is absolutely scientifically accurate. So um, anyway, I want to introduce to you a friend of mine. We're in a life group together. Uh, Nate Meyer is uh, here. He's going to start coming up here. And he is a, uh, only a couple months away from finishing his clinicals. And then he is, uh, he's actually serving in the United States Navy. So let's thank Nate for his service to our country. And he is going to uh, share with us from his uh, expertise in the field of science. And uh, I'm just real, I know you're going to love this. Uh, and I'm just, I'm very appreciative of my, my friendship with Nate. Uh, he taught me how to fish and he taught me how to hunt <laughs> this last year. And we've had some good times together. Him and his wife, Kaylee, are expecting their second child in a couple months. So that's exciting. And uh, that should be on. And also, uh, they're going to be restationed in North Carolina in a few months as well. And he's going to be serving as a doctor uh, for the United States Navy. 
down there. I don't what fort or what. Uh, it's Camp Lejeune. Testing. Yep. Good. And uh, so he'll he'll be down there for a few years. So we're going to miss him. But I'm just really thankful for my friendship. And Nate, take it away. Thanks for sharing with us today. Awesome. Hi, my name is Nate, and I'm a nerd, so that is, that is why I'm here today to talk to you. Uh, Pastor Tim uh, asked me to talk last week, uh, and I was really excited about it, and then he told me I have 10 minutes, and we uh, aptly demonstrated last uh, service that that's just not going to happen, so uh, I'm going to do my best to move fast, but if I say anything that you guys not tracking with or you need me to slow down, just make a really confused face, like, and then... I'll try and slow down or explain it a little more clearly, okay? Uh, so we're just going to start with a quick overview. Uh, there's really only four different options that we have for uh, how the universe that we live in came to exist. Uh, number one, uh, it could have been created. Uh, number two, you could have a universe, uh, hypothetically, that's self-created or came from nothing. Is this clear enough? Pull out a little bit. So you could have a self-created universe, a universe that came from nothing. Uh, he's got me. I have a scribe. Okay. So this might actually make our timeline. Uh, so you could have a, a created universe. You could have a self-created universe or a universe that created or came from nothing. Uh, you could have an eternal universe. I don't want to panic my scribe here. Uh, or you could have a universe that doesn't really exist at all. It's really just an illusion. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about all of these. Uh, no, I'll take it from there. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we're going to skip the created one for now. But issues with a self-created universe. Uh, uh, when, it's really logical contradictions to think that something could have created itself or something came from nothing because uh, you're not there to create yourself. It's just, there's a lot of logical contradictions there. Uh, with these theories, you see people trying to resolve it with like string theory and multiple infinite parallel universes. Uh, in my view, whenever you have to invent an infinite number of universes to explain one, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. Uh, the other option would be uh, an eternal universe. Up until probably the 1950s, uh, this, would be, this would have been a very dominant uh, scientific view. In academia, a lot of people uh, preferred an eternal universe. But there's been a lot of scientific discoveries that really make this unlikely. Uh, for instance, the, uh, the second law of thermodynamics. This completely contradicts the second law of thermodynamics, that energy is constantly moving from a state of higher concentration to lower concentration. If the universe were eternal and that were happening, then we would have already reached something called heat death, or where everything is exactly the same. There's no organization or structure to everything. Uh, uh, another issue with that, you might have heard of Edwin Hubble or Hubble's telescope. Uh, Hubble's really famous for identifying something called the red light shift. Uh, what he did is he took his telescope and he looked out to the universe and he noticed that uh, the the colors of the lights coming back from galaxies aren't quite what we expect. They're actually shifted red, which uh, you can insert, infer scientifically from that that it's actually spreading apart or moving away. And so that's kind of a, a strong evidence that we have that the universe is actually expanding, uh, which is also inconsistent uh, with an eternal universe. If it's constantly expanding, it, you should be able to track it all the way back to nothing. 
Uh, and the last one, uh, that the universe is actually illusion. It really, everything that we see actually only exists in our mind. There's nothing really here. Uh, uh, this one's not as silly as people like to think. Uh, and it, it, there's really brilliant people that, that believe this, and it has to do with like particle physics or physics and uh, like the mass ratio of protons, neutrons, and electrons. It's really complicated. Uh, but they have reasons for believing it. The problem with this is that once you leave that classroom where you studied that stuff and you learned it and you're thinking that everything's uh, imaginary or, or an illusion in your mind, you're going to have to get out of that classroom and you're going to have to cross the street. And when you get to that street, you're going to look both ways because that bus is real and it will kill you. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting thought, but it's just not really a, a practical or a, a possible way to live or, or, uh, or believe. So... Uh, with that, now we're going to focus a little bit on the, the, the created uh, option. And uh, so if, if we're just going to do a little bit of a thought experiment here. I want you to just kind of empty your mind, no thoughts of God. You're just a young philosophizer in a, a wide open meadow of insert the flower of your choice. And you're just thinking about the universe uh, and how you came to live in it. And uh, so you, you've come up with these four possibilities. Uh, for logical, scientific, and practical reasons, you've kind of eliminated these three, and you come, come to focus on this idea that maybe the universe was created. Uh, and so, as you think about this, think if there was a creator, someone who existed out of the universe and was there to speak it into existence, what might a being like this say? If he wanted to talk to you and, and tell you that he was there, what might he say? I exist, I exist outside of the universe, I exist independent of the things in the universe, I exist that I exist, maybe I am that I am, I don't know if anybody caught that quote, uh, but this phrase, I am that I am, those are the first words that God uh, spoke to an Israelite in the Bible. So we, uh, when God was telling Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, Moses told God, well, who should I say has sent me? And God answers back with this uh, response, I am that I am. And uh, this is like a thousand years before any of the Greek philosophers ever existed. This is amazing. And, and in that moment, God, speaking from a bush to a shepherd, answered the greatest philosophical question in the history of the universe. And that's where... Where did everything come from? There's, there can only be one thing that, that created all of it. And in that moment, God's answering that question. To me, that was completely mind-blowing. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to push a little bit further, and we're going to focus in on, on this option right here, because that seems to be the, the dominant view of today. Uh, and so two different ways you can go from this. You have physical sciences, your chemistry, and your... Uh, 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 physics. Uh, we're going to move a little bit. My background being in medicine, I'm a little more familiar with uh, uh, biology and, and, and biological medicine. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about biology. So the once you once this so-called miracle has happened and you get this self-created universe, you still need life on the planet, right? Uh, and so the theory that we that uh, uh, naturalistic scientists would uh, propose is uh, that of spontaneous generation. Basically that uh, over time, biomolecules accumulated on the planet, and then in some primordial slime, I'm sure you've heard those words, uh, eventually the right combination of the right molecules came together and boom, life. Uh, 
Uh, and so we're going to investigate that a little bit further. So there's really four different types of biomolecules. You can have carbs or carbohydrates, uh, lipids, which are fats, and then, spell fats right, uh, and then uh, proteins and nucleic acids. And I'm just going to write an A because I don't trust myself to spell nucleic in public. Uh, so uh, carbo... I don't trust myself to spell carbs in public. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So uh, carbohydrates and lipids, these are largely energy storage molecules. They do have a lot of different purposes inside cells. Largely uh, uh, energy storage molecules. We're going to focus today primarily on proteins and nucleic acids. Now, protein, proteins are amazing structures. Uh, pretty much everything structural in your body is composed of proteins. Uh, your muscles, your organs, really anything that uh, is specific and has a function is made out of proteins, different uh, channels that go through uh, uh, cell membranes, things like that. Uh, the, real, the real crucial thing in, in living things is proteins. Uh, and proteins are composed of things called uh, amino acids. Uh, and they're actually just long chains of amino acids folded into the right conformation or shape uh, to accomplish a specific purpose uh, within the body or cell or organism or whatever we're dealing with. Uh, and so uh, <clears throat> proteins are made out of 20 amino acids, right? And so the theory is that these amino acids uh, just... Uh, eventually came into the right confirmation. So we're going to kind of put this theory to the test a little bit mathematically with some statistics. Uh, so let's just suppose that I have a bucket full of these 20 amino acids, uh, and I reach down into this bucket, and I pull out one amino acid. Because the order is very specific. You have to get the protein in the exact right order. The shape's going to be wrong, and then the function's going to be wrong, and it's useless to any living organisms. And there's very few... Uh, relatively few uh, combinations of proteins that uh, are actually functional. Uh, so I reach into this bucket and I pull out an amino acid. What are the chances that this is the uh, amino acid that I need to start my protein? It's one out of 20, right? Not, real not a real mind-blowing concept here, okay? So now I have to build the second protein. I reach in and I grab a protein. What are the chances I got the right protein for this spot? One out of 20. Listen up. Uh, okay, so, but total, to get both of them in a row, it would be 1 out of 200, 20 times 20. So that's how probability works. Uh, you would keep... 400. Yeah. I saw your 4. Yeah, perfect. 1 out of 400, right? Uh, so another way that we would write this, uh, in math, whenever you're doing, like, large numbers, uh, we use exponents. So we're going to raise this. Another way to write this would be 1 over 20 to the second power, okay? Uh, most proteins that exist in biological systems are well over 100 amino acids, uh, anywhere from 100 to just thousands. They get huge. Uh, uh, so, but just for the sake of this experiment, we're going to build a very, very basic baby protein. It's actually barely considered a protein. In order to be a protein, you have to be 50 amino acids long. And so we're going to build one that's 61 amino acids long. So we reach into our bucket 61 times. What's the probability that we made the protein that we need to create life? It'd be 20 to the 61st power. So 21 or 20, 61, pro, uh, 61 different amino acids. 
Uh, this number is probably useless to everybody that I know. Like, we don't deal with numbers like this. We don't deal with numbers this large. We have nothing to relate it to. So I'm going to kind of change the form of this, add a way to relate it, and kind of give you like a, a piece of, of what we're dealing with. So uh, the way you would transform numbers like this, you do something in math called a logarithm. I'm not going to do that because I want you guys to stay awake. Uh, uh, so this equals, I've already done it, uh, 1 times 10 to the 80th power. Now, another way to write that, if I wanted to, and I didn't fear carpal tunnel, I would write 1 with 80 zeros behind it. This is a number we don't deal with, 1 with 80 zeros behind it. And uh, I actually chose this number uh, because it's estimated that there is 1 in 10 to the 80th atoms in the entire known universe. Now, I know these aren't words that we use all the time, but I'm not talking about cells that make up your body. I'm not talking about molecules. I'm talking about atoms. This is the smallest possible thing. Uh, and I'm not talking about uh, planet Earth. I'm not talking about our solar system. I'm not talking uh, about the Milky Way galaxy. I'm talking about one atom in all of the galaxies that make up the universe that we live in. So the probability of making a protein of this size, which is very small, uh, is about the likelihood of you uh, painting one random atom in the entire known universe red, getting on a spaceship, flying out to the correct galaxy, uh, and finding it again. And then, just by some miracle, let's suppose you find it, uh, congratulations, you have a protein, uh, probably the world's smallest protein, uh, and you have not come anywhere close to an organelle or a cell or any living structure at all. So uh, the probability of doing this is completely astronom astronomically so small that it's just never going to happen. Actually, one of the uh, great atheistic philosophers of the 20th century was a guy by the name of Anthony Flew. And uh, his last book was actually a book called There is no, no crossed out, a god, uh, because he changed his mind because of these numbers. It just doesn't work. Uh, uh, so how does it actually work in biological uh, systems? Uh, you use the Na, nucleic acids, or DNA, RNA, things like that. Uh, DNA code uh, for all of these uh, proteins. Uh, the DNA really has no structural or functional purpose other than the storage of information. And then through a process called a transcription and then translation, it forms these uh, nucleic acids into uh, functional proteins. And it's uh, just really an incredible process. And there was actually a, a scientific philosopher by the name of Stephen Meyer who, in 1998, he wrote a book called Signature in the Cell. Uh, and uh, in typical philosopher fashion, he spent 600 pages explaining something that could probably be summarized in six sentences or six words, or what I'm actually going to summarize for you in three words, uh, which is information implies intelligence. So everywhere you look in the world, I'm reading that exit sign right now, uh, that's a sign of information. It's a coding system that codes for something else. And everywhere we see that in the world, there's an intelligence or an intelligent mind or some kind of uh, being behind it. Uh, and so he took that, uh, that, that point and he applied it to the 
abundant information inside a cell and said, there has to be an intelligent mind behind this. And uh, that's where like, kind of the intelligent design came from. Uh, so <clears throat> I mean, there's 3.5 billion characters in the human genome. Another number we don't deal with very often, but that's well over 300 Bibles. Okay, the information in this book, about 300 of these, that's the amount of information that's stored in the human genome. Uh, so you ask me why I trust the Bible. If, if there is a being who spoke into existence uh, organisms and he created the human genome, there's just no way that that guy's going to screw up a book. Like, <laughs> are you kidding? Like, this has, it has to be perfect. So... Uh, I don't know, those are just kind of some of my thoughts on it. Uh, so, uh, moving on from there, another illustration of my point. Okay. All right. All right. Does everyone know what this is? Okay. If you don't know what this is, it's a balloon traveling sideways towards the sun. If... If you do know what this is, the point I'm trying to get at is the, the whole point of this cell is, is, is uh, putting this information where it needs to go. Once this cell gets where it needs to go, uh, once this cell gets where it needs to go, the only thing that matters is information. Uh, for hundreds of years, scientists have been trying to reduce life down to matter and energy. And what we've just found time and time again is that you can't do that. There's a third thing that's missing. It's matter, energy, and information is the most important thing. Uh, without information, matter and energy will never, never come to life. And we've looked at some of the statistics today. Uh, and so, so when I, when I have this in mind, and... And I, I read passages like John 1, 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, this was originally written in Greek. And so the way it would have read, well, at least partially in Greek, is in the beginning was the logos, they use this Greek word logos, which is where we get our word logic or reason. Uh, and, and so you just look at living systems, and I read that. In the beginning was the, the logos, the logic, the reason, the information that was necessary for everything to be created. And it just it gets me all fired up uh, that there's a God who said this so long ago, and that's exactly what we're seeing, and that's closer to what we're getting to today. And so those are just some things I wanted to share with you. I just want to uh, close up with uh, two quotes uh, that I found that I, I found were uh, pretty impactful. So this first one comes from a, uh, a NASA astrophysicist by the name of Robert Jastro. Uh, and he said, For the scientist who's lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He's scaled the mountain of ignorance. He's about to con conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> now, scientifically, this is where I think we are. I, I think scientifically, we've crested that rock, and we can see that this had to be done by a created, intelligent, amazing being. Uh, 
But culturally, you look around, and there's still so much opposition, so much. It's just we're not there. And so that kind of brings me to my second quote, uh, which is actually by the Apostle Paul. And it's Romans 1.18, uh, and, and we're going to read a couple verses starting there. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The the scientists who actually discovered uh, the structure of DNA was a guy by the name of Francis Crick. And his uh, big theory for how this uh, amazing molecule came to our planet uh, was something called uh, directed panspermia, which sounds pretty scientific, right? I'm impressed. Uh, it, it means aliens. That's, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man Birds, animals, and creeping things. And I, I think that's where we are. I mean, everywhere I look, I go into work every day, and people don't get this. Uh, but it's plain. It's everywhere. It's out there. Uh, I'll just say, well, I, I already ruined your message. Can I just say one more thing? Uh, so... <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Ten minutes, forget about it. All right. Uh, so look at that last verse, the last verse, Romans 1, uh, verse 23. It says, uh, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Now, whose image are we made in? We're made in the image of God. But according to a naturalistic theory, whose image are we made in? Creeping things. It Like... Just the, the truth in the passage, you ask why I trust the Bible, it's because everywhere I look, it, it, it brings a clarity to the things I see that's just unparalleled in any other worldview. Uh, and so that's why I trust the Bible. That's all I have to say about that. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Could listen to it. All day long, man. That's great. Sweet. Well, like I said, we're not going to get through today's message. So. But I'm going to give you a couple of other things to think about, too. And I just really appreciate Nate. And uh, it's awesome. That was great. That was great. <clears throat> I love that stuff. Um, you, sometimes you got to put your, your thinking cap on when you come to church. Because, you know, God has created us in this image, and we have intelligence. He has given us brains. And what I love about this church is that when we come in here, and, and maybe you're new today, and you're a little put off or maybe a little unsettled about some people jumping around, like the pastor up front, or the people on stage, or some people dancing, you're lifting their hands. But the Bible tells us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, Okay. What I love about our church is we try to do that. And so we're loving them emotionally. We're loving them physically, right? But we're loving them with our mind, too. I love that. I love that talk. 
And so we're, we're engaging our thoughts, too. We want to know God, not just emotionally, uh, relationally. We want to understand him, you know. So I want you to be wise uh, in the ways of God and wise unto his word. So I appreciate what Nate had to bring. A couple other thoughts I'm going to give you. We're not going to get through it all, but I'm going to talk about that the Bible is also prophetically accurate. How many of you know the Bible is filled with prophecies? There are almost 2,000 prophecies in the Bible. And the Bible says of itself, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It says here, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by his Holy Spirit, okay? So there's, there's no prophecies in the Bible that some guy or some woman sat around and just came up with this prediction. All prophecies in the Bible are from God himself. That's why they're all coming to pass. There have been thousands uh, of the 2,000 uh, prophecies. I don't know how many of them have been fulfilled, but I would say most of them have. And if I were you, I would want to know which ones haven't yet. Because they will be. And it's a sign of the times. Uh, we can see what God has done. We know what he says he's going to do. So we know what he's about to do. And I want to be a part of that. How about you? Amen. Just taking the prophecies in the scripture concerning Jesus coming uh, as the son of God, as the savior, as this Messiah. His name isn't spelled out literally in English in your Old Testament. You won't find the word Jesus in your English version of the Bible in the Old Testament. But I will tell you, Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament, and there's prophecies of this promised one coming. And just those prophecies alone, there's about 355 of those that we can look at in the Old Testament, some of them written a thousand years before Jesus ever showed up, and they came to pass exactly as they were prophesied to. Why? Because we have a creator who sees the in from the beginning, the beginning from the end, it's his story. He knows it all. He knows you. He has a purpose for your life, and that's why you can trust him. We see the evidence in the scriptures. There's just one I want to show you because I don't have a lot of time to go through this. Uh, I want to get a couple other points made. One of them I want to show you is found in Psalm 22, and David is writing this psalm. And in Psalm 22, verses 14, I'm going to read something, and I want you to see if you can identify... Um, by the way, this is written over a thousand years before Jesus shows up. I want to see if you can identify what he's talking about here, okay? I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. What is, what is that predicting is going to happen? Jesus' crucifixion. This is a thousand years before the Romans even invented crucifixion. David, I'm sure David was like, carried on by the Holy Spirit, as all of the, this is. This is written by God, not by people. And he's probably standing back and saying, what is this, what does this mean? He had no concept of what we know now today as cru crucifixion. And yet he's describing how the bones are out of joint, how he's, 
there's, there's people surrounding Christ at the cross, and, and he's, he's got his hands and his feet pierced, and there's people gloating over him, and below they're dividing his clothing. And all of those saints came true exactly. And that's just one of the prophecies in the Scriptures that was announced thousand, a thousand years beforehand. Isn't that amazing? You can trust the Bible. I'm, I'm asking you to build your life on the Bible. Actually, Jesus is the one who said, if you build your, your, your life on the Bible, if you build your life on my words, you'll be wise, and when the storms of life come, you'll be strong, and you'll be able to withstand the storm, right? So this is about the quality of your life right here and right now and your eternal destiny in him. But the more of the word of God that we embrace and we begin to get in alignment with, the more stronger, fuller of life and health and peace, purpose and freedom and, and release that we have in this life. And so Jesus says, build your life on this word. And I'm saying you can trust this word. Verse by verse, word by word, you can trust. This is the word of God that will bring life to you and health to you. And it's worth building your life on. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. The other statement I'm going to finish with is the Bible is thematically unified. And I'm actually considering maybe Nate and I can get together uh, and do, do some of this some more. And maybe I can do a video or something of the rest of this message because <laughs> we're not going to get to it. But this part I want to talk about for a second, okay? Here's some facts about the Bible. The Bible is written over the course of 1,600 years by 40 different authors. And these people were on three different continents, three different languages, and most of them didn't know each other. Okay? Uh, the Bible was written by poets, prophets, princesses, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, a doctor, prisoners, common people. It was written in a cave, on ships, in homes, in palaces, in prison, by fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, all sorts of different people, all sorts of different cultures and times on the planet. And they came together, and most of these people were dead before anybody even realized that this stuff was going to be gathered together into something called the Word of God for you and for me. And that has one theme, one theme. And that theme is God loves you and he sent his son Jesus to save you and to rescue you and to spend eternity with you forever. All of the Bible is pointing to Jesus. Just to give you a little bit of insight, Jesus was um, recently and very, very recently resurrected from the dead. And one of the stories we see immediately after he was resurrected was he's on this walk. He shows up. And there's these two disciples, and they, 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 they say this is on the road to Emmaus, okay? And these two people are super discouraged, and they're sad, and they're disappointed. They don't, they're trying to figure out what happened. We believed in Jesus. We thought he was the, the Son of God. We thought he was the Savior of the world. And so they're just, they're just struggling. They're walking away from Jerusalem after the crucifixion and, and the burial of Jesus. And Jesus shows up. He's like, hey, guys, what you talking about? <laughs> and they don't know it's him. I said, are you crazy? Don't you know? Everybody's talking about this. That Jesus, who we thought was the, the answer, we thought he was the guy, we thought he was the promised Messiah. He was crucified, and, and, and he was killed, and, and it's, he wasn't the one, I guess. And then the Bible says this verse in Luke chapter 24, 27. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them that all the scriptures were talking about him. He began to show him in the scriptures to, all, to these two disciples. And their, their hearts just lit up. I mean, the words were just penetrating and burning in them because it was so true. And they were coming alive. And then all of a sudden, he, they, they saw that it was him. And then he, he, he kind of like vaporized or something, disappeared and reappeared to other places. 
And they're like, wow, our hearts are just burning. And so he's like, how did he do that? What was that like? I want to show you the very first word in the Bible, okay? This word, some of you are taking the Hebrew in our Discipleship Academy class. You, you've recognized this word because we just taught about it. And what I'm going to share with you in about three to four minutes, it usually takes me an hour at least, okay? So I'm just going to give you a, a real short, quick uh, view of this. Okay, the, the word is in Hebrew, it's called bereshit. And I'm going to write down these Hebrew letters for you real quick. And all right, I know it doesn't mean anything to you. It just looks like Hebrew, right? It's all Hebrew to you. All right, now, this comes from, these letters come from ancient pictures. You know, like Egypt had hieroglyphics and stuff like that. Well, Hebrew came from God. This language came from God, and it came from pictures. And when we study this and we look at, the pictures, I want to give you an analogy here to think about. Have you guys ever seen one of those posters that's like you kind of got to stare at it and kind of got to let your eyes cross or something, and you can, it's like a hologram or something, and then you can see an image in there? I've never been able to do that. I'm just standing there and looking at it. and like, just relax. I'm like, I am relaxed. You know? Just cross your eyes. I'm like, I'm crossing my eye. I'm like, just look, uh, look past it. I'm like, I can't do it. But if you've ever been able to do it, some of those posters, you see it from a distance, and, and you might see a poster of Elvis. And you know, you can see it. It looks a little weird, but you can see Elvis. And you get closer to it, and you see every little box is a picture of Elvis playing guitar or singing or dancing or doing whatever he's doing. And you see these pictures. Well, this is what the Bible looks like. When you begin to study the Bible, you begin to get closer and closer and closer to it. Let me tell you what you're going to see. From a distance, you're going to see that God loves you that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die for you, to save you and rescue you so that you'd be with him forever. And you get a little closer, and you see Jesus again. In every book of the Bible, you'll see Jesus. And then you get a little closer, you get into the words, you begin to see Jesus again. It's an amazing thing. And, and I want to tell you, this is the first word in the Bible. And the first word in the Bible tells a sentence of what God is going to do for you and for me. And if you look at it, and if, you, if I could spend another hour with you, I would show you how the first word tells a story of what Jesus is coming to do. The first three letters tells us that he's the son of God. The first two, word, two letters tells us he is the son. And the first letter tells us he is the son. He's Jesus. Even the first letter in the first word in the Bible is pointing to Jesus. The first letter, the first two, the first three, the first word, and the whole first sentence. I'm just going to show you the first word real quick. And this is, you're just going to have to trust me on this because I don't have time to teach it. But this right here means son. This is bet. It's the second letter in the Hebrew language. It means son because the first letter, aleph, means God. Aleph, the strong one, comes from a picture of an ox. So this right here is the first letter in the Greek alphabet or in the Hebrew alphabet. It's God. The second one represents the son. And the first two letters, B, and the, it's kind of like a B sound. And the resh is like an R sound. It's the word bar, which means son in Hebrew. If you ever heard of someone like Barnabas, means the son of Abbas. Bar Jonah, the son of Jonah. If you ever heard of the phrase bar mitzvah, it means for a 13-year-old boy to become a son of the mitzvah. Mitzvah is the commandments or the Torah. So when he turns 13 for the first time in his life, the greatest moment in his life, he's been looking forward to it for his whole life, he gets to unroll the Torah scroll and read from the word of God for the first time officially. He is, it's his bar mitzvah. He is the son of the covenant. For a girl, it would be called a bet mitzvah. So this means son right here. This, this whole thing actually means son. 
Now we're going to get into this. You've seen some of you, if you've been around, know that I've talked about some of these before. This is an ancient picture of teeth, and you chew with your teeth. You devour, you eat with your teeth, and, and you press down with your teeth. If you've got a piece of steak you're going to eat later today, you're going to press on that steak, huh? Yeah. So this is pressing. This is uh, the word for hand. Yud is a hand. It's a picture of a hand. And this last one is the last letter in the uh, Hebrew alphabet called Tav. And it's a picture of two sticks that are crossed. It's a picture of a cross. It's the covenant sign. And so if I was to take a little bit of liberty in kind of putting these pieces together, the first word in the Bible, when you break it down in the original language, means this. The Son of God, with his own hand, is going to be pressed to a cross. It's the gospel. This is the repetitive pattern as I've been studying Hebrew and looking at this a little bit over and over and over again, and it blows me away. Just like the science blows Nate away, this stuff blows me away. Some of you are in a group with me that we've studied Torah and the Hebrew for the last several years. This stuff blows me away. I'm telling you what, God loves you. He's real. He's for you. And any promise you find in that Bible, you can lay hold of that thing. It is true. Do not let the devil convince you otherwise. Do not listen to the, the, the word of the world. You have a choice. You're either going to listen to the word of God or you're going to listen to the word of the world. It's that simple. You're either going to be drawn into life or you're going to be suckered into death. You're going to be drawn into freedom or you're going to be caught by some bondage. Depends on what word you believe. I believe in the word of God. How about you? I stand here before you today a believer. I am a believer. I choose to believe. I believe in God and I believe in his word and there's a whole lot of evidence on the side of believing. But whatever area of my life that I'm lacking and that God begins to show me something new, I need to be a believer again. I need to believe that what God is saying is true. That what I've been believing because my mom or dad or somebody else taught me that, or maybe I took some hard knocks in life and I made some conclusions, but God's saying, no, 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 that's not who you are. No, no, that's not true. Guess what I got to do? I got to become a believer again if I want to break through in that area of my life. That's why this is so important because every single day God wants to talk to you. He loves you. He wants to set you free. He wants you to have a great life. He wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants you to be alive, full of life. And it comes from the Word of God. The Bible says of itself that when we let this get planted inside of us, it can save us. When we accept it, when we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, it brings life to us. When we meditate on God's Word, like this, this week's uh, verse is going to be, we will be refreshed and renewed and revived. So let's be people of the Word. How many of you are a believer today? Huh? Amen. Let's stand together. And uh, our, our team is going to do another song, but before they do, I want to pray for you this morning. <clears throat> the most important decision that we all make in life is the decision of what we believe about Christ, about Jesus. Is he the Messiah? Um, the evidence says absolutely. Uh, but you still have to make a decision. Because he's the only way to get right with God. He's the only one who's paid for your sins. Nobody else has, and you can't, you can't pay for it. You can't do anything to earn it. Um, it is the gift of God, but God has given you that gift today. He's inviting you to accept him and to, to come home to him. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning. If you don't know where you stand with God, or you know 
hey, I need God, and I, and I want to, you know, I want to come home today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll be in the family of God, and you'll be on your way to heaven, and you'll have made the best decision of your life. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're here this morning and you just want to get right with God, you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, the whole message of the Bible is that God sent His Son so that you could have life and be forgiven. If that's you this morning, uh, before I pray, I want, to, I want to ask you just to lift your hand up high so I can just celebrate your decision this morning to get right with God, okay? Thank you. Anybody else? Lift your hand up high. Say, Pastor, that's me today. I'm choosing to get right with God, to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Okay, awesome. For those of you who lifted your hand, the rest of us, we're going to pray a prayer with you out loud. Just pray this prayer with me, but it's coming from your heart, okay? Let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and you came and lived a holy life and willingly gave your life for mine. So today, I ask you, forgive me of all my sins. And I declare that you are Lord. You are my Savior. And I'm all yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have the power to live this new life and to be all that you made me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your saving power. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray also for us this morning. Lord, I thank you that your word is a hammer. It breaks through the hardest of stones. And it can break through our bad attitudes. It can break through our bad upbringings. It can break through the bad bondages. It can break through hurt hearts. It can break through anything. So, Lord, I pray that your word will just come flooding into our soul and revive us this week as we read and study and apply ourselves to knowing you and knowing your word. Lord, let each one in this room have an encounter with you and your word this week that sets them free, that lifts them, that heals them, that strengthens them. Lord, we need you. We're a family. We pray for each other to have a great week in your word. We pray, Lord for more, more revelation for our brother and our sister and for ourselves. We pray that this family will be stronger and healthier, more joyful and peaceful. And, and Lord, that you'll continue to lead us and guide us as we seek you. Help us, Lord. Create in us, Lord, a pure heart. Lord, let our minds be captivated by you. Lord, like the deer pants for streams of water, may our soul pant for you, God, the living God. May you stir up an appetite in us this week for more of you, God. Thank you, Lord, for this family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you for the goodness, Lord, that you have poured out to us. And now I pray, Lord, for our family. Lord, your blessing upon each and every one of us and each one of our family members here today. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Let you. May you feel the smile of God, the pleasure of God on your life. And may he give you his peace in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.